I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Here's our scripture today from Mark 8. Verses 27 through 38. Installed. It's okay. I memorize everything. Something happened. Okay. I can get a Bible. No problem. We're going to get, well, I don't have a Bible, but I can get, do it on my phone. Give me a second. Softball on Sunday. Okay, something, something happened, but that's okay. Here, here, all right, close your eyes. Focus on these words. Hear now the word of the Lord in Mark 8. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea, Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it's been six years, uh, six and a half years precisely, since I moved to Alexandria. And... um, this is a good spot. I feel like I want to come a little bit closer to y'all. Six and a half years since I moved um, to Alexandria and to, to lead and to restart this church. And I remember it like it was yesterday when I first got here. One of my very first days in Kingstown, trying to figure out what in the world I was supposed to do on any given Sunday. Um, I didn't know what I was supposed to use my time for. I was sitting in a Starbucks in Kingstown, full of energy and full of nervousness. And this woman leans over to me and says, are you new here too? Is it, like, it was like she could smell on me. <laughs> smell on me the nervousness. Smell that I didn't have any idea what I was doing. That I was fresh out of somewhere I had no idea what, who I was supposed to be spending my time with, what was next. And our conversation went on for a little while. 
and we both realized that we actually lived in the same little cul-de-sac in Kingstown. So I, knew, I ended up knowing that she was my neighbor. And that though we had moved for completely different reasons, for entirely different reasons, we were both in a bit of an identity crisis in our lives. We knew who we were before, in the past, before we arrived on the scene here in this area, with new jobs and no earthly idea where to start. We knew who we were in the past, and now both of us had to discover who we, who we would be in the future. I, I wonder if you have ever gone through a similar kind of identity crisis. Maybe you are going through one now. Besides coming to Alexandria to lead this church, another one of those identity crises in my life, those identity-shattering moments for me, was when I quit teaching and I decided to go to seminary to become a pastor. And I remember sitting by myself at the counter in the student center when I met Kate, who became one of my closest friends at the Divinity School. And I'll never forget what she said to me that day, what made me know immediately that that she and I were meant to be friends. She said, you ever just feel like you don't know who you are anymore? I mean, I knew who I was in Middletown, she said. I knew who I was in Middletown. She was from this teeny tiny town outside Memphis. I knew who I was in Middletown, and and just as important, they knew who I was too. I think back to high school, she said, and I I was the one given the valedictorian speech. I I did really well in school. People knew me. I made all state for field hockey. When I was in ninth grade, my my science bowl team went to D.C. and finished runner-up to MIT prep. My dad was the pastor and my mom was the doctor in Middletown. And then I come to Duke after graduation and, and, and I'm doing this dual divinity med school program. But deep down, I have no idea what I'm doing and why I'm here and what my future will be. I know who I was in the past, but I don't know who I'll be in the future. It's an identity crisis. There is an identity crisis going on today in Mark's gospel. Jesus asked his disciples, who who do people say that I am? How am I perceived? What are the messages that are getting out there about me? How do others view me? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond, the people think that you are Elijah, or you are John the Baptist, or you are one of the prophets. In other words, the people say you are living in history. You are old news. You're a copycat of of someone who has come before They think you represent the past. And who do you say that I am? Jesus asks his disciples. After a bit, Peter gets it right. You are the Messiah. You are the future. You are the promise of God's salvation. You represent what God has done in the past and everything God will do in the future. You are the reign of God's kingdom to come. And Peter was right, of course, for those early disciples and for us, Jesus may represent our past. Jesus may be a part of our past. 
Jesus certainly forgives and redeems our past. But Jesus the Messiah is all about our future, about where we are heading as much as where we have been. And the eighth chapter of Mark's gospel represents a key transition in this story. The first eight chapters are about Jesus' baptism. He's announcing good news. He's gathering a community of friends about him, his healing and his reaching out to those who have been forgotten. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And Peter gets all that. He loves that. He's into all of that. He, he wants all of that to continue. But what Peter and the others don't grasp, even as they've got a hold on the past, is that they don't quite understand the future. That from here on, the past and present all aim towards, they all aim towards Jerusalem. The future is about Jerusalem. That's where Mark's gospel is headed, to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is, is the place where the past history of God's people and the future of God's kingdom will come together in this climatic moment. And the rest of Mark's gospel is about the journey to Jerusalem and the events of the cross. From this point on, Jesus wants to know from his disciples and from all of us whether we're going with him into the future or whether we will stay behind in the past. I was reminded of this this week by one of uh, a Peanuts, Peanuts cartoon. I was reminded of one of my favorite Peanuts cartoons. Charlie Brown's team is beginning another baseball season, and following the Peanuts baseball team is a bit like being a Cubs fan pre-2016. And so, in this comic, Lucy tells Charlie Brown that this year is going to be different. She's going to be better. She's going to be a better player than she's ever been before. The team's going to actually win some games this time. And the first game of the season, it's tied. And there are two outs in the ninth. And the batter on the opposing team hits a long, high fly ball out to Lucy, the existentialist in right field. And it looks like she... She'll make the catch. It looks like it. All looks hopeful. Until in the very last moment, the ball misses the glove, hits Lucy on the head, rolls out toward the fence. Runners score. Charlie Brown's team once again pulls defeat out of the jaws of victory. And after the game, Lucy apologizes to Charlie Brown. Sorry, I, I missed that fly ball. I thought I had it, but suddenly I remembered all the other ones I had missed, and the past got in my eyes. The past got in my eyes. I wonder if you have ever had the past get in your eyes. Maybe it's even more than the past getting in your eyes. Maybe sometimes the past is all you can see. Perhaps for some of you, the past is so present that, that you can't even imagine any kind of future. Maybe you feel as though your entire life has been set on a particular trajectory because something that happened in the past. Perhaps it was a relationship that at one time seemed to hold the comfort of the past and all the hope of the future all in one, and then the relationship came to a crushing end, and the future no longer seemed to 
hold any hope at all. Or maybe it was an opportunity that came your way, oh, once upon a time, and now you are filled with regret for not having taken it. Or perhaps you had a dream of what your life would be, and it hasn't worked out as you thought. And and the past may hold a key, but the future seems like, like a locked door, and everywhere you look, the past is in your eyes. Or perhaps for the the last 18 months, you and and the rest of the world have endured a pandemic that has you longing for the past and exhausted with how the future seems ever-changing, every hope of it evaporating in your hand with every new development and every new strain. Maybe for you, the past is comforting and secure, but the unknown future is a burden filled with worry. For some like Kate, high school or undergrad or back home or before you got married or before children or before you took that big mortgage payment or before the pandemic was, life was controlled and stable for you, but now it feels like you have no footing. And the future feels like this gigantic question mark, and the past keeps getting in your eyes. The past week, I was was cleaning out my spam folder, and there was this one email in there, um, uh, you know, those emails you get about mutual fund, mutual fund funds, and I opened it up, (laughs) of course, and um, I don't really know much about mutual funds. Um, but I admit, I got a little excited when I started reading it. I, this particular mutual fund, over the past year, during a pandemic, has outperformed every other one. It lost 15%, everybody else lost 40 plus. This is a, a mutual fund, it said, that's been on the rise over the history of the market, it said. The market's only gained 10%, but the history of this mutual fund gained 20%. I don't even know what all that means. This is where you should put your money. It's a glow with historic returns. It's enough to get anybody excited. And then I read down to the bottom of the page, and there was these little teeny, teeny letters that said, Past success does not guarantee future performance. For some of us, we're worried about past success and wondering if past success has anything to do with future performance. I'm worried about that for the church. And in the midst of all of this, Mark's gospel enters the scene with a story of God and Christ who is working in our past who is taking our past and our triumphs and our sorrows and our regrets and our broken dreams and all that we had hoped for in the past. And God doesn't just wipe the slate clean and say, none of that matters anymore. I'll fix it and I'll make it better and you'll do something totally different. Rather, what God does is God gathers up all of that and God weaves it into this new creation of what the future of God's kingdom might look like. I have a sense of what that might look like with me this morning. When I graduated from seminary 
at, uh, at Duke, I was given this cross. In fact, every person who graduates um, from seminary there is given a cross. Um, I was given this cross, and they're, they're, everybody's given a cross, but each one looks a little different. Um, each class is given a different color. Uh, this year, when I graduated, it was emerald green. We all got emerald green. And the beautiful thing about this cross is that it's, it's made out of the past. 25 years before, there was an old divinity school building, and it had a beautiful stained glass window. And when they tore that down, they broke up the stained glass contacted the original stained glass builder, designer, whatever those people are called, and, uh, and, and got more of the same glass that came to, to make that window, and then used that glass and broke it up into little crosses for every class that came after. And, and this master glass cutter and craftsman has taken that glass that had been chipped and had been broken and had been had really not been taken care of and made something beautiful out of that, a new creation shaped in the image of the cross. It's an image for what God does in our lives, shaping all the bad, all the regret, all the pain, all the hurt, all the hopes, all the broken dreams, fulfilled and unfulfilled into a new identity. So this July, I begin my seventh year at Kingstown, building and serving this church. And I told someone earlier this week that I know that these past six years have, have given me everything I need for whatever the next season ahead is for me as a pastor and us as a church. There is a lot unknown for us as we regather and begin to piece back together a body, this church that has been scattered for quite some time, for the last 18 months. But, but what I know as I step into uncharted territory with you is that all we have, all we have to do is take all the wisdom and scrappiness and risk-taking of the past, all the willingness to risk and be used by God in God's constant new thing, all that wisdom, all that grace, all that growth from before COVID and transplant that wisdom now in this moment today. And the exciting thing about this year ahead, even in the midst of so much uncertainty, is that we have remained and will continue to remain connected in the joyous call of the gospel that never changes, where discipleship is the work of the Spirit daily forming us into the image of Christ. We might be in an identity crisis, Kingstown, <laughs> but we will together find our identity in God, Christ, our road on the way to Jerusalem. And so as Jesus said to Peter, he says again to all of us, take up your cross, take up your cross and follow me. That's the risky business of the gospel. Take up your cross and follow me. Follow me when you don't know who you are anymore. Follow me when you'd rather stay in the past than risk the future. Follow me when the past is in your eyes and the future is a blank canvas of the unknown. Follow me when your heart is full of sorrow and when your heart is full of praise. Follow me 
into the future of God's salvation beyond all human success and all human failure. Follow me, says the Lord. Follow me. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me today? Recognizing that today is, is also the day after the 20th anniversary of 9-11. What an identity crisis that was and continues to be as we recover from a 20-year war. Would you pray? God, when the world spins crazy, spins out of control, spins towards rage and hate and violence, when it spins beyond our wisdom and nearly beyond our faith, when the world spins in chaos as it does now, and will continue. We know it doesn't stop. We are glad to be rooted here with you in this space. We are so thankful, God, for being rooted in communities of faith like this one, for, for, the, for the, the saints that came before us who believed and trusted as firm witnesses for us, for, for their many stories of wonder and awe and healing. We give thanks for the past, God, the past that you are weaving together into our future. We are, we are glad today for this company, for being rooted in the text, for, being, for hearing testimony, for sending people forth today, for the commands of your gospel, for the risky, exuberant tales of your story. Because we know that, we, that as we probe this text, clear to its bottom, we will find you hiding there in the words. We'll find you showing up, God, in this space, speaking as you do, governing, healing, judging. And when we meet you hiddenly, we find the spin not so unnerving, all the chaos not so unnerving, because from you the world again has a chance for life and a sense of wholeness. We pray amidst the spinning, we remember those who went before, those who died before, and not yet unnerved, we wait and watch and listen for you, God. Because you are the truth that contains all our spin. We join together in that prayer that you taught us to pray, Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There is